Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. And our task this week, if you're following along with British politics entertainment, is not to get banned from our own podcast. <laughs> no, not to get banned by our own podcast by straying outside of the topics of um, of the paranormal. We have very strict editorial controls. Yeah, the best way of doing that, Ben, is just to avoid talking about politics altogether. Perfect. So what are you doing this week? Well, this episode is called Politics and the Paranormal. Excellent. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's perfect timing, and I've probably just shot myself in the foot. Um, probably by the end of this episode, Ben is going to ban me from being involved in a future episodes until we've agreed a policy. And then I'll have to accuse myself, um, <laughs> yeah. and therefore the, we'll just have to have empty microphones next yeah. week. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. We'll put the microphones in a haunted place and see what we, we get. Yeah, or, or we go for the chat. GB type thing. We'll oh just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get it. <laughs> like mysterious it. universe planning. Yeah, yeah, and it'll come through with complete and utter bullshine. Yeah, we'll probably and our numbers will go flying up. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, does that mean we have to give Patreon money to the chat GBT? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. Yeah, um, it'll be driving a Lamborghini <laughs> by the end of the first month. <laughs> Well, so this idea for this episode didn't come about because of the, uh, if you're in the, uh, apologies for those outside the UK, there's been a bit of a controversy about a tweet that a uh, sports presenter who does the football stroke soccer, if you're an American. So sure. uh, Yeah. uh, uh, Big Show uh, tweeted something that government of various people didn't like and he's now been suspended, yet but all his... uh, what people who appear on the show have basically said, well, if he's not on, I'm not coming on. So it's 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 a bit of a storm. But that wasn't why I wanted to look at politics and the paranormal this week. It was really inspired by the story related to the photo the president of Mexico posted on Twitter. This made some of the UK front pages as well. Yeah, it did. And uh, I'm sure... Most of you or all of you know the story, but just in case you don't, I will I will summarise it. Um, he posted a picture which he claimed to be a genuine photograph of a woodland elf or spirit, depending on your definition. So let's start with that story and I'll explain where it led me in terms of this episode. So... As I said, this has been all over the internet, but I'm going to focus on an article by Jesus Jimenez in the New York Times, which was published on February the 27th this year. Um, His article says, In Maya culture, the Alux, I think it's Alux, A-L-U-X-E, but I think it's pronounced Alux. That's how I'd say it, yeah. Yeah, uh, there's going to be a lot of this, as usual, (laughs) coming up in this podcast. (laughs) And if any of them sound like cleaning products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the Alux, uh, according to the article, is believed to be a mischievous elf-like being that lives in the woods. Uh, A creature of folklore similar to leprechauns, unicorns, mermaids, and the Loch Ness Monster. I think the author here is doing that thing that we talked about last week. It's just like anything paranormal, just lump it together. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure how a woodland spirit could be like the Loch Ness Monster, but I'll go with it. Yeah, yeah. So it was a surprise on Saturday when President Andreas Manuel Lopez Obrador of Mexico... Oh, may I give you a round of applause? Yeah, I like the Obrador. Shared a picture on Twitter of which he claimed was an Alux. 
The image shows what appears to be a figure with two glowing eyes crouched in a tree. There are few discerning details in the photograph which appears to have been taken at night. Everything is mystical, Mr. Lopez Operador wrote. Now remember, because you kind of forget when you're doing this story, this is the current president of Mexico, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Mr. Lopez Operador said the photo was taken last week by an engineer. He did not identify the engineer, but said the photo came from work on a project that he has backed, the Mayor Train, which is a railway that is expected to be nearly a thousand miles long and that has been pitched as a way of developing Mexico's poorest region. I didn't know the kind of connection with the railway. No, no, I didn't. No. So commenting on this, David Stewart, an art history professor at the University of Texas, Austin, who has researched the Mayan civilization, said that Aluks were known by the mayor primarily in the northern region of the Yucatan Peninsula, and they were known as trickster characters. So Mm -hmm. that sounds a bit like a trickster spirit. It does, yeah. And they lived in the forest. He says, There were just the little beings out in the outskirts of town that would make your life difficult. Professor Stewart compares them to leprechauns or elves in other traditions. Aluks were blamed for fairly benign mishaps, such as gates being left open or items going missing, he said. The items going missing bit reminded me a bit of um, a few bits we've done on poltergeists and on jots and stuff like that. Yeah. Which which we have tied with trickster spirits. That's right, and also... um, Sort of sounds similar to what we might know as a boggart. Yeah, 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 yeah. When Professor Stewart first saw Mr Lopez Operador's post, he thought the president was being a little tongue-in-cheek about it, but concluded, I don't know. I have no idea what he was trying to do, he added. In a 2008 edition of Voices of Mexico, a magazine published by the National Autonomous University of Mexico, a man from a Maya village described Aluxes as tiny, short, little sprites, about 40 centimetres high with hairy bodies. Which does kind of tie in with the photo, if you've seen it. We'll put this yeah, on our social it does. media, I'm it does. sure everyone's And seen. also a monkey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the picture to me looked a bit, uh, a bit like a cross between a monkey and a sloth. That's how I read it. If you haven't seen the photo, it's like two glowing eyes peering down through what looks like foliage with what looks like maybe a furry body. Yeah. Uh, to me, I thought it was a marmoset. That's what right. I immediately went to. Right, right. You didn't go straight to the woodland spirit. <laughs> <laughs> that was obviously my second thing. Going through the zoo for me is awful. Oh, it's a woodland spirit. No, 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 it is a marmoset. Well, maybe you were being tricked because the article does this, the, um, the academic does go on to say, so the resident ghosts, they appear on roads, but not everyone can see them. Sometimes we think, I don't believe it or they're tricking me, and we do things that bother them. So then you'll be walking alone and they'll surprise you. What's that kid standing there, you think? And when you look back, it's not there anymore. It's a spirit. It's the wind. But the image stays in your eyes, so you remember. That's a very whimsical way of putting it. I like it. Yeah, again, it might have been a little bit Black Eyed Kids as well, maybe because he mentioned kids, but oh, that yeah. sounded pretty similar to that. So there's a lot of phenomena going on here, I think. I just did what you used to do. As soon as you said Black Eyed Kids, I was like, 
doesn't sound anything like Willow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Genuinely, my brain just had to do a leap. Yeah. Yes, it does sound like Beck. Yes. yes. Yeah, with this, their slightly pop rap crossover. <laughs> <laughs> now, I need to put a sceptical view on this as well, because there are those that question the validity of the photo shared by the president of Mexico. The image did not have metadata, making it unclear when the photo was taken or by whom. Multiple Mexican news outlets have reported that the image shared by the president was extremely similar to another one widely shared on social media in 2021 uh, of what was said at the time to be a witch. The 2021 image was reported to have been taken by a man identified as Juan Pacheco in Nouveau Lyon in, the northern Mex- in northern Mexico, and this was according to Mexican news outlets. Now, I'm looking at that photo, and I'd not seen that one before in connection with this story until I was putting this together. Mm. Uh, on that one, there seems to be two of these creatures. Oh, so right. It's a wider shot, and it looks like, to me, what someone has done is just zoomed in on one of them in the new version of the photo. But it looks almost identical to me. Right, right. So, um, I don't know whether the president was duped or not. It's hard to tell what his motivations are for sharing this. I can't think of why he would share this. Some people have speculated that it was to bring attention to his political campaign in some way. He's known for being right of centre somewhat. But I don't know really how... That fits in. Is he trying to paint a picture of kind of like an authentic Mexican person who believes in these things and therefore gives himself some sort of spiritual credibility within the political community? That is something that has come up. Um, Now you mention it, I did read an article where somebody thought that he was trying to bring attention to the railway, but it's an odd way of doing it. Yeah, it is an odd way of doing it, although... um, I'm going to come on to a story from Indonesia in a little while, which may tie into some of the themes that you're talking about there, Ben. So we might come back to that discussion because I think it's interesting. Okay. So that story really sparked me thinking about what other world leaders or powerful people have expressed some kind of belief or had some kind of encounter with the paranormal. Yeah. And the first person who came to my mind was Jimmy Carter. Did we cover that? I don't think we did, did we? No, I think we covered... There's a story... I'm going to get on to Jimmy Carter's UFO story, which I don't think we've covered. We covered Jimmy Carter seeing a giant rabbit. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we briefly mentioned his UFO thing. Um, So, I'm sure everyone knows Jimmy Carter, before he became President of the United States, famously had an encounter with a UFO. He saw an unidentified flying object in October of 1969 and filed a report to the International UFO Bureau on the 18th of September 1973. Did he really? Wow. So I think interesting, though, that he he did... It wasn't just, hey, I saw this thing and he told journalists. He actually filed filed a, a proper report. Carter described waiting outside for a Lions Club meeting to start in Leary, Georgia. I had to kind of look up Lions Club, but they're kind of a charitable organisation. Right, right. I think they kind of feed homeless, that kind of thing. And so, it's run by Lions, yeah? Yeah, of course. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's run by A-looks. 
<laughs> so, so Carter's outside this meeting at the Lions Club, waiting for it to start in Georgia. And at 7.30pm, he saw what he described as, and I quote, the darnest thing I've ever seen. That's such an American expression. It really is. So he spotted this thing in the sky. There are around 12 other people who witnessed the event and described the object as very bright, changing colours and about the size of the moon. Now, I'm assuming that looks like the size of the moon when you're looking up, not literally the size of the <laughs> yeah, moon. Yeah. Otherwise, I think this would be a much bigger story, don't you think? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you cover the moon with your thumb, that's what he's thinking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the soon-to-be president reported that the object hovered about 30 degrees above the horizon and moved towards Earth and away before disappearing into the distance. As part of his election campaign, this bit I think is really interesting, in 1976, Carter vowed that he would encourage the US government to release every piece of information about UFOs to the public. Oh, they always say that. Though after he became president, he backtracked, claiming that some information would have, quote, defence implications. Yeah, of course. So it's a standard thing. It, that, that quote reminds me of all the stuff that is going on with the, you know, alleged Chinese balloons and, yeah. you know, the Tic Tac UFO. It's all very similar, isn't it? Kind of muddying the water it language. It is. Carter later told a reporter the incident changed his perspective on the UFO phenomena and he vowed to never ridicule anyone who claimed to have seen a UFO. Um, well, that's... You've got to wonder what he learned... Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what was going through my mind. Because I don't know, I, I get the impression that and maybe I don't know enough about Carter, but I always got the impression that he was a reasonably straight up guy. And if he'd said yeah. in his campaign he was going to release this information, well, you wouldn't kind of make that promise. I feel that he'd made that promise with the best intentions and then got to see some of the stuff and went, God, we can't release this. <laughs> I think Hillary Clinton said something similar. Yeah, yeah. And Trump said something similar, I think, as well, and that never happened. Yeah. So they all have these intentions. And, uh, yeah, and uh, Bill Clinton, I think, as well, because there was all that stuff about they thought they'd found life on Mars and then they kind of backtracked and said, well, they could be microscopic, but it's not that. And, yeah, so there's a history of this kind of stuff. But mm. I think what sets Carter out is he saw a UFO, he posted it, and then he didn't backtrack from it when he was campaigning or deciding to run for the president. He, he, he's never gone, oh, it could have been this, could have been that. He's always had some out, outer-worldly, paranormal, with a small p, element to it, rather than kind of dis discounting it. Yeah, yeah. Certainly here in the UK, and I would imagine in the US, a belief in the paranormal might not be a vote winner, or at least it might open you up to ridicule or attack from your political opponents. Yeah, which, 100%. Yeah, which is why you might try and avoid it. But in some countries, belief in the paranormal is actually a vote winner, even essential to making sure you get elected as a politician. Oh. Would this be like Japan? Or we're going to travel... Oh. To Indonesia. Oh, okay. So I found this really interesting article by uh, Bayer 
Dardius, I, I hope that's how you uh, pronounce the name, and he explores paranormal beliefs and politics in Indonesia. Hundreds of parliamentary candidates across Indonesia are following rituals in sacred and sometimes dangerous mountains, rivers, beaches and caves following procedures set out by Dukun. So this is D-U-K-U-N, which I think is pronounced Dukun. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, that is a person with paranormal powers. Oh, okay. Now, depending on what level of political political success you are looking for, costs <laughs> to get the services of a duke are pretty expensive. Kaya Joada Bodo, who is the leading duke in Indonesia, charges between $100,000 to $5 million dollars depending on what level of government you want to be elected to. What the... Five million dollars? I I think that's probably to have a bit of a run at president or near enough. Wowzers. He's got a challenger, though, because there's a newcomer on the block. There's a new paranormal political fixer who's trying to make politicians' wishes come true through their powers, and his name is Decembria Rosyardi. I've got that completely wrong. Rosyardi. Decembria Rosyardi. And he will guarantee success to those who believe in him and want to be elected. You thought five million was a bit pricey. Wait till you see what this guy's charging. Yeah. It is reported he would charge up to $100 million for a successful presidential race. Um, yeah, I could smell a fish. But he does believe in his powers. The money is held by a notary and will only be paid to the Dukan if the candidate is successful. Oh, well, when you put it like that. And no details on whether anyone has taken him up on this offer or not. But I was thinking about this because you think, oh, OK, well, that's putting his money where his mouth is. It is, yeah. However, if someone gives you $100 million and you're doing a presidential campaign, that's going to take a couple of years. Just having $100 million in your bank account for two years is going to raise a certain amount of money. That's a very, very good point, yeah. Yeah, you're going to get a lot of interest off that. Now, for anyone who's going, why would anyone do this, and are sceptical about it, um, the author of the article points out that the relationship between politicians and these paranormal political gurus is just good politics he says a former student of mine Mohammed Salan researched this relationship between Dukan and politicians and came to the conclusion that relationship is actually quite rational and mutually beneficial he did his research in Banyar Anji district in East Java a stronghold of superstition in Indonesia where Dukan received privileges amongst society. Dukan received financial support from the political candidate by performing various forms of rituals. By the same token, candidates need Dukan as power brokers to gain support, especially for masses of voters who believe in a Dukan's capabilities. Ah. Candidates have connections with Dukan in every electoral area, especially in locations unreachable by the party political machine. That's really interesting. 
What a great profession to be in. Yeah, be a dukin. Be a dukin. Maybe we should set ourselves up. Yeah. I'm going to call Nigel Farage. Yeah, so I can, <laughs> I, I can dukin you into, way, into power. Oh, that would be brilliant. That would be hilarious. But that, that story of, of Indonesia may, did kind of harp back a bit for me on the one about the Mexican president. Like you yeah. said, maybe there was a certain degree of, well, people believe in this stuff. If I have some kind of show some kind of empathy or affinity with them, that might be a vote winner. That's true. And, of course, what I had completely forgotten is he might believe it himself. I mean, yeah, yeah. it might be true. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, if you go with that, this shows that in certain countries, if you do believe, you don't have to keep it quiet. In fact, it can be beneficial to you expressing your yeah, beliefs and yeah. views on the paranormal. Yeah, yeah. It's always the um it's the equivalent of the Labour Party in the UK being tightly aligned with the trade union. That's how you Yeah. how you win chunks of vote. And yeah. the equivalent there is the Duke and as followers, I suppose. That's their trade union. In yeah, a way. yeah. And and by the sounds of it, in areas where a candidate can't uh reach the people, the Duke and it in some way acts as their representative and promoter. Yeah, yeah. Well, unlike Indonesia, in Britain, an interest in the paranormal can be a nail in the coffin of your political career. Can it? Well, this was the case with Rupert Matthews in 2011. Is he British? British, yeah. Okay. Matthews was uh, a publisher who had published many books, including a children's book children's book written by former conservative education secretary nikki morgan oh wow i know her well i don't know her but I'll say yes i know the name know the name matthews who as well as being a publisher had been a conservative party activist for over 30 years decided to stand to become an mep in 2011 for our listeners outside europe that's a member of the european parliament the plan was for Robert Matthews to take over from the standing Conservative MEP, Roger Helmer, who was stepping down. But Conservative Party managers stepped in to block Matthews from standing. But why would they block a candidate who had dedicated over 30 years of his life to his chosen political party, had worked as a councillor and was a successful businessman? That sounds like a prime Conservative candidate, doesn't it? It does. Had he been on Most Haunted? <laughs> Not quite. But yes, you are, you're guessing it. It was because of his interest in the paranormal. Matthews had once run a course at the International Metaphysical University of West Virginia. The course was about ghosts, UFOs, aliens, and once again, the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> <laughs> that bloody Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> he just tags on to everything. Hello, can I be part of this, please? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I want to be part of it. Wow. So, so he'd run a course. Now, this, there's another bit to it. Matthews had also warned residents of Odell in Bedfordshire about the ghost of Sir Roland Alston, who was the former proprietor <laughs> of Odell Castle. <laughs> so he warned them? Yes, well, he, he had a warning, because Sir Roland, who was obviously long dead, uh, was said to have sold his soul to the devil. Uh-oh. 
And Matthews predicted Sir Alston would return from the dead, and I quote, bring hell to earth. Right. Now, in light of all the information, the Conservative Party decided he wasn't a suitable candidate to become a Conservative MEP. I sort of understand now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a bit mean if he's just like, oh, I like ghosts. Uh, but if he's like, no, this guy's actually partly the devil or whatever, yeah. then, no, no, that's not going to go down well. Yeah, it's not great if you're in the middle of a political debate and the candidate says, there is an ancient ghost coming down who sold his soul to the devil who's going to reach hell upon you. You're like, oh. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. No, please stand down. Although he did have his supporters, the MEP uh, that Matthews was due to take over from was so incensed by the decision of his party, he refused to step down and defected to another party. He defected to UKIP. <laughs> oh, for the love of... Well, the- hang on. There we go. That's what I was just saying. A Dukan is helping. Yeah. If he's gone to UKIP. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There you go. So you you, you called it. That that's amazing. So I reckon we need to find out what you keep think of the ghost of what's his name, Roland. Yeah, Roland. Sir Roland. Where? Hold on, Sir Roland Alston. Right. Okay. Perfect. I'm on it. What it did make me think, Ben. I don't know if you've got any political aspirations, but after doing this podcast for three years, I think you can basically forget about them. Yeah, I was thinking. I don't know. I wouldn't mind being a mayor. Yeah, what? not like a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, I've completely confused about what that position is now. <laughs> I've been grooming my tail for months. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could probably do, I could be a ghost mare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's lots of those who ride on horses, ghostly horses, that, so that would work. They do, they do. Now, regular listeners will know that we love delving into academic papers on this podcast, don't we? We do, we do. They turn out to be a very rich treasure trove of interesting stuff. Yeah. Because they, they sometimes become footnotes in massive books and um, sometimes form part of the book's thesis. So it's really interesting to get to the nub of what the actual research or the, the commentary was. Yeah, exactly. Well, I found an interesting one that relates to the topic we're discussing today. Now, this paper is by Tyler James Ferrari. What a great name. That is amazing. It was published in 2018. Ferrari was a political science student at Chapman University. And the title of the paper is Paranormal Beliefs and Their Effect on American Fears and Political Identification. Nice. Now, I'm just going to read the intro to give you a flavour of what the paper covers. Ferrari writes... For centuries, Americans have been mistrusting of their government and other places of authority. The American Revolution was rooted in the mistrust of King George III to adequately care for and protect the colonies from unfair taxes and abuses by Parliament. Since the Revolution, Americans' distrust of the government has become more palpable, with some candidates using this mistrust as a campaigning tool. This mistrust has permeated throughout all levels of government and higher authority, with different Americans being mistrustful of different institutions. Additionally, this has influenced American culture and its obsession with urban legends and paranormal phenomena. Mm. 
Shows like The X-Files, Monsters and Mysteries in America and Finding Bigfoot have cult-like followings of believers and those who quote-unquote want to believe. The popularity of shows like these illustrates a culture in America that is sceptical of authority and open to abnormal ideas. That's his words, Mm -hmm. not mine. Um, But how these ideas influences one's political identification and ideology. Are there any correlation between one belief that the government is hiding the truth about aliens and their political party? So I I read that and thought, this is worth a little look at. Mm, mm. Um, additionally, do these beliefs influence how one feels about more likely disasters like terrorism and economic collapse? Understanding these potential relationships will help governments and other institutions better understand how to deal with the sceptical because bringing about a renewed sense of trust in American institutions will help the country overall in the face of trials and disasters. So that's his kind of intro. So I thought this sounds interesting. I delve. So, uh, I mean, I'm going to focus on this paper. This is a paper about America, but I'm sure... I'm sure themes could apply across yeah. many many countries. I'm just it, that's the paper I've got, so I'm going to focus on it. Now, there's quite a lot in the paper that discusses something we've touched upon uh, in an episode a couple of weeks ago. Yet we did on science and the supernatural. In Ferrari's paper, he points out that there's this tendency to label conspiracies and paranormal believers as crazy or uneducated. Mm. Um. And he's saying that this prevents, uh, that means that there's very little scientific or academic research into the subjects because of this belief that they're all crazy and uneducated. And it also prevents people who do have a belief in the paranormal coming forward to engage with proper research. Why would you do it, right? I'm just going to be ridiculed. They think I'm all stupid. I'm not taking part in a study. You know what I mean? So. Mm. I thought that was an interesting point and has tied into things we've said before. The paper goes on to explore a number of hypotheses or assumptions that people make and whether there is any basis in the assumptions. Ferrari explores the assumption that those who believe in the paranormal, so he's defining paranormal in this sense as ghosts, cryptids, aliens, etc. So kind of what we would say traditional paranormal. Yeah, yeah, in quite general terms. Yeah. Uh, he says they uh, tend to be believed by those who are conservatives, with a small c rather than a big c. Uh, and those who believe in conspiracy theories tend to be Democrats. Is that right? I would have completely reversed that. Well, it's funny, because when I read that sentence, I thought the same. But I'm going to get on to why okay. that is the case, and it actually makes sense. But you're right to pick that up, because that was my instinct. So... According to Ferrari, there is this assumption that conservatives and Republicans are more likely to believe in the paranormal. Democrats are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories. And the politically independent, I guess, are just kind of that independent, right? Yeah, yeah. So like you say, I was sceptical in this premise he was testing. I tend to think about conspiracy theories being embraced by... Trump, MAGA supporters, QAnon, stuff like that. Yeah. But then I realised that the paper, though it was published in 2018, a lot of the stats and research comes from a 2008 study. I see. Which made me think that my view that 
belief in conspiracy theories may have shifted towards Republicans rather than Democrats in that 10-year period between the survey in 2008 and 2018. So, and the author of the paper does make some conclusion to that point later on. So we'll get on to that, basically. Now, as I said, the report utilises a 2008 survey to analyse how beliefs in certain phenomena is affected by your political persuasion. And it has some interesting results. Shall we run through some of the questions and see what the results were? Yeah, yeah. So let's start with Bigfoot, because, you know, we like to start with a bit of Bigfoot. So the participants in the survey were asked whether Bigfoot was a real creature. Now, before we divide that into political beliefs, let's go for an overall result. So, Ben, what percentage of Americans do you believe believe Bigfoot is real? Uh, 40%. Okay, you've gone higher. It's somewhere between 15 and 20% of Americans believe in Bigfoot. Okay. With politically independent people being the most likely to believe. Oh, okay. It's pretty close, though, between the other political persuasions. So whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're pretty much just as likely to believe in Bigfoot than, you know, anyone else. I think it's around 18% for both of them. Now, I know some listeners out there will want to know what we believe, but we say, as we said on the podcast before, we like to think of ourselves, certainly I do, as not having a particular belief, more yeah. a curiosity. Yeah. But bearing that in mind, shall we just kind of give an outline of where our curiosity is sitting on these yeah, subjects? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So starting with Bigfoot, do you believe in Bigfoot? Um, uh, I don't know. I think um, I'm inclined to think there's something there, whether it's a um, flesh and bones giant ape or not. I don't know, but there's some people have definitely seen something. People have seen something. Yeah, I'm qu- I'm probably more on the skeptical side on the Bigfoot thing. I think you're right. People have seen something. Do I think it's some cryptid-like creature? Probably not. So, yeah, that's where we are. may not be as definitive as people wanted, but I felt we should do it. Um, The next question that was asked, do you believe the government is hiding the truth about the moon landing? Uh, No. Now, this separates more in terms of your political beliefs. Independents are more likely to believe the government is hiding the truth about the moon landing, with 31% believing there was a conspiracy. Oh, wow. That's much higher than I would have thought. Democrats are next in believing in the conspiracy, 25%, with Republicans least likely to believe in the conspiracy at 17%. Hmm. So that's quite a gap between the independents and the Republicans. 17% for an in, a Republican, 31 for an independent, 25 for a Democrat. So, moon landing. Well, I'll start with this one. I think we did go to the moon. My conspiracy about the moon landing is I don't think people watched it live. I think it was pre-recorded just in case anything went wrong. So I think it happened earlier Mm -hmm. than we think it did. That's where I would lean. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it would make sense if that was the case. And certainly there are um, 
there is video that shows some level of kind of faking scenes that may be connected with the fact that maybe it didn't happen live as we were, we were supposed to have watched it. Not I, I think there might have been a standby studio, but I still think we saw actual footage. Right. So I went through the paper. In terms of other paranormal phenomena, like the Bigfoot question, your political beliefs don't seem to have any bearing on your belief in ghosts, UFO, cryptids, or other similar phenomena. They, they just, Democrats and Republicans seem equal in terms of what they believe about those subjects. Um, where there is a political difference is belief in conspiracy theories and trust in government organisations, such as the FBI, CIA, etc. And what the author seems to suggest is that when it comes to conspiracy theories... It depends who is in power, which I thought was really interesting. If you're a Democrat, your trust in the institutions of government is higher if there is a Democratic president and your belief in conspiracy theories are lower. At the same time, uh, as and same is true if you're a Republican in a time of a Republican president. So you're more trusting when your person is in power, basically, which kind of makes... Yeah. Sense, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And for independent people, their distrust in government is higher in general and more consistent. Which again makes sense. Yeah. Because you don't care who's in power, it's not part of your tribe, so your your maybe your belief in a conspiracy will be higher because you think it's more likely to happen. That's a dynamic I'd never thought about. That's really interesting. That is interesting, isn't it? Um now the paper does strike a word of caution for America, and I stress I'm relating this to America because this was the best paper I found on the subjects. I think it applies wherever you live. Ferrari says, with the general mistrust of institutions in America growing in the aftermath of a prolonged war on terror and the Great Recession, it is no surprise that belief in conspiracy theories and paranormal phenomena is generally large across the political and ideological spectrum. But the prevalence of these beliefs illustrates serious problems for the political system moving forward. In 2008, conspiracy theories targeting major party candidates had greatly increased, first beginning with conspiracies surrounding President Obama's birthplace, in 2016 targeting Hillary Clinton's health or Donald Trump's relations with Russia. As more of these theories target candidates, the more the public relationship with the government will continue to worsen because of a growing lack of trust. Mm. Furthermore, many public officials have given greater credibility to some conspiracy theories by promoting stories from websites like Infowars or Russia Today. The growth in audience that these sites have seen illustrates a, a distrust in the media as well as the government. This growing distrust threatens democracy because various factions within the political realm are now able to create their own realities. And these differing realities block any chance of discourse on political issues. Perhaps even more dangerous, an unhealthy mistrust of institutions like the government in times of emergency can cost people's lives, as seen in disasters like Hurricane Harvey. 
The data in this paper clearly illustrates that while most Americans do not believe in these conspiracies or other paranormal phenomena, there is a large faction that believes in these things and that can possibly make them more susceptible to more sinister attempts to mislead the public, such as Russian disinformation campaigns during the 2016 election. Yeah, yeah. Additionally, the large amount of Democrats believing in conspiracy theories is possibly motivated by partisan attitudes, and this greatly hurts the American political system because trust or mistrust in the government is becoming motivated only by partisan bickering as opposed to being motivated by the efficiencies of these institutions. It is vital that leaders in both parties and in American institutions like universities, the media or the government as a whole, stop conspiracies from spreading by being truthful with the public at the first chance they get and fighting back against conspiracy theories. I thought that was interesting. That, yeah, I had never sort of... I mean, it, it makes sense, but I hadn't really aligned the belief in Bigfoot to the potential to receive Russian disinformation, but yeah. Yeah, and, I'm not, I, and to be honest, in my reading, that I'm not sure... It felt a little bit, and I, I thought it was a really interesting paper, but it felt a little bit that it was someone who decided to go on this journey and then looked at the stats and it didn't really back up what his conclusion was going to be and then thought, I'll write the conclusion anyway, which I think is fine. Do you know what I mean? Because your example is a good one. that There is very, very little difference, probably a statistical error difference between Democrats and Republicans who believe in Bigfoot. The numbers are pretty much the same. Yeah, same with yeah. ghosts, same with conspiracy theories. Different, but as the paper is suggesting, that depends who's in power and who you trust, which is just logical, really. It is, it is. The, um, the trouble is when politicians think that people will believe conspiracy theories and then commit crimes or disservices to people it sort of proves, you know, it adds weight to, well, if, if that happened, then this could happen. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing as, um, uh, like, people giving favours to their friends and then suddenly it turns out that it did happen. Yeah. And you go, wait, if that could happen, then what else could happen? And that's what builds conspiracy theory. Yeah, and then that kind of opens the door for all kinds of manipulation. Yeah. So, so far we've seen that a belief in the paranormal can ruin your chances of becoming a successful politician in Britain. Conversely, it is almost essential to getting elected in Indonesia. In the US, belief in conspiracy theories can be used by both sides of the political spectrum to get re-elected. But it got me wondering, how does it play out in countries like China? And I found a really interesting paper by someone called S.A. Smith that was published in the American Historical Review in 2006. You're going to love this title, Ben. Go on. It's titled, Talking Toads and Chinless Ghosts, The politi Politics of Superstitious Rumours in the People's Republic of China. I concur. I do love it. <laughs> we'll come on to Talking Toads in a minute because... The story about that is just amazing, so bear with me while I do the intro. Um, so I'm going to read an edited version, because this is quite a long paper and there's a lot of political detail in it. But I'm going to edit down, but I'm kind of pretty much reading as it is. 
says, since the death of Mao Zedong in 1976... Oh, and by the way, my pronunciation is going to really stretch its limits here. (laughs) There has been an astonishing revival in the People's Republic of China of what the government calls feudal superstition. This in spite of the fact that under Mao, the regime waged a fierce onslaught against the four olds. Old thinking, old culture, old customs and old habits especially during the Cultural Revolution. The 1980s and 1990s saw a rush to rebuild temples and ancestral halls, the resurgence of spirit mediumship and exorcism, renewed interest in divination and geomancy, the re-emergence of heterodox religious cults, notably Furlongong, and the appearance of jade emperors descending from heavens. A lot of paranormal stuff going on, basically. That is quite a lot of paranormal stuff. This, the rapidity and extent of this upsurge in once prescribed beliefs and practices raise questions about the power of the Maoist Chinese state, suggesting that despite its intensive propaganda campaigns and bouts of repressions, its capability and capacity to remould popular thinking and behaviour was much less than scholars had once supposed. This in turn raised questions about the nature of the beliefs and the practices that received during an era of economic that revived, sorry, during an era of economic reform. So I think it's basically saying the Chinese Communist Party tried to suppress superstition and paranormal beliefs, but realized it was tougher than they thought. Yeah, yeah, well, it's it's people's very essence, isn't it? Yeah. Well, on July the 2nd, 1962, the Ministry of Public Security of the People's Republic of China issued a confidential circular to public security organs on the prevention and suppression of rumours. It claimed that in the most recent period, the number of rumours in circulation has been large and linked this increase to activity of counter-revolutionaries who were said to be using rumours to undermine the authority of the state. By far the largest number, it said, were rumours that arose from an inadequate understanding of the international and domestic situation. These included rumours of war, said to be the most widespread at the time, rumours about the state of the economy and superstitious rumours. Okay. What sort of superstitious rumours? We're going to come on to that. (laughs) We're going to come on to the talking toads. Oh, brilliant. (laughs) The circular recommended that education and propaganda be stepped up to deal with these issues. On superstitious rumours, it said nothing very specific, yet the increased access to provincial and local archives that had become possible since the 1990s makes it clear that superstitious rumours were rife in China at the time. Over the next three years, the authorities claimed to detect a huge upsurge in superstitious activity, a key component of which was the circulation of superstitious rumours. We cannot rule out the possibility that this upsurge was in part a consequence of heightened vigilance on the part of the authorities. Since in February 1963, in response to Mao's concerns that capitalist forces were now rampant in the country, they fought, watched the Four Cleanups, a campaign designed to combat corruption on the part of local officials. In time, this campaign developed into a broader socialist education movement, which entailed sending work teams into villages to identify those who were guilty of capitalism 
also those guilty of feudalism, which include in mercenary marriages, religious activity and superstitions of all kinds. A key manifestation of feudal superstition was deemed to be the spreading of rumours about supernatural happenings. It seems likely that superstitious activity of all types did in fact grow in this period as a result of the per- pervasive uncertainty of the times and more liberal policies to all popular religion on the part of the government. Should we get on to the toads? I'm literally on the edge of this seat waiting for toads. Let me. I'm just going to guess that these toads are like disinformation creatures. Am I right? Well, that's an interesting question. It probably depends on your political persuasion. Oh. And you'll see what I mean in a minute. Um, So, okay, there's going to be some really bad pronunciation. I do warn you yet again. In April 1962, the Jilin Provincial Trade Union reported a rumour that was fast spreading through the province especially among factory and mine workers. It was a conversation that had been overheard between two toads. Like, literally, toads. Froggy-type toads. One toad said... Hang on, a conversation that was overheard? Yeah. Okay. So someone overheard two toads having a chat with each other. I mean... Okay. One toad said, Don't say that I am big. This year, none of the old men and women will survive. The others said, don't say that I am small. This year, people will have abundant food. So they're having an argument about the future, these two toads. The big toad retorted that the elderly would survive only if they were given sugar-filled dumplings equal to the number of their age. Oh, my God, I want sugar-filled dumplings equal to the number of my age. (laughs) Yeah. When questioned, people gave conflicting accounts of where these talking toad utterances had first been heard. In Bahyang, some miners said that a man in Xiangyai County had dug up the toads while digging a grave. Others said that the party secretary of Yodong Commune in Axian County had raised them from a well while fetching water. In Chung Chung, workers claimed that they had seen the toads on their way to Chaoyang Gao to hold a memorial ceremony for the dead. Others said that a woman had given birth to the toads. A year later, the same rumour cropped up in a distinct city of Shanghai. In April 1963, the General Labour Union of Shanghai Municipality reported that workers at number 9, number 12 and number 17 state textile mills and number 4 printing and dyeing mill and in the working class district of Yangpu were gripped by a rumour that a toad spirit was roaming the suburbs of Pudong just across the Hungpu River from Yangpu. The toad weighed 1.5 kilograms and was able to speak. Like its prototypes in Jilin, it forecast, this year more than half of the old people will die, but added that they might survive if they ate a toad before the first day of the fifth lunar month. (laughs) This is getting very specific around complete bollocks. it, it, It gets even more specific. Many workers were said to be frightened by the rumour and they set off to look for toads to give them to elderly relatives. Failing to find any, they made toads out of flour 
steamed them and then gave them to relatives to eat so they could fulfil this prophecy that was going on. That's quite a feat of kitchen engineering, It really is. Within a month, the same rumour, in a more developed narrative form, had spread from Shanghai in the adjacent counties to Jingsu province. The Women's Federation in Jingsu County reported that the rumour was causing considerable apprehension. A large toad had appeared when a building was pulled down. People had tried to kill it, but it uttered the following prophecy. If you weigh me, I am 2.5 jin. If you don't weigh me, I am still 2.5 jin. Most of the old ladies are going to die. <laughs> I'm really confused about why they're giving these prophecies anyway. Well, I'll come on to that. As people scurried indoors, the toad cried out, disaster will be averted only if young married women bake toads made from 2.4 gin of flour and give them to their mothers and the old folks to eat. Okay. It added that bread toads must be eaten in the fourth intercalular lunar month, for by the fifth lunar month it would be too late. Women, thereupon, abandoned work in the fields to bake toad buns and take them to their mothers, who often resided in brigades at some distance. At the start of June, the beginning of the fourth intercalular month, only seven or eight of the 27 communities in Shangshao County had been affected by the rumour. By the second half of the month, 22 were affected. When offering the toad buns to their parents, daughters first burned a stick of incense. They then presented the buns with two poached eggs, which sounds quite nice. Okay, this is now becoming a cookery show. The authorities were particularly concerned that the party members the party members were participating in this activity. In Gongbai Brigade, the secretary of the party branch and the head of the Women's Federation both presented toad buns to their mothers. In Jing Brigade, the head of a women's federation, while attending a party meeting, deliberately allowed her children to cause a ruckus so that she could leave the meeting early. She then visited her mother with toad buns that she had made. Among Nansau production teams, 9 out of 57 households baked toads, giving away a total of 21 buns, while 4 households received a total of 7 buns. The greatest amount of flour used by any single household was 2 gin. I'm not sure about this measurement, but it might mean something. Else. The greatest number of total buns made by any household was 7. A few communes managed to dispel the superstitious activity by acting promptly to organise ideological education for the female masses. <laughs> Different times. Really? <laughs> in this way, in 6 out of 13 brigades in Sanxiao Ayo commune, the evil wind, as it was called, was dispelled and the masses were enabled to understand the rumours rationally. The overall effect of the rumour, the report concludes, was to waste flour, reduce turnout for work in the fields and increase feudal superstition thinking. So why? Yeah, why? And what a very convoluted way of going about it. I, I, and I read the paper and it, I don't know if this is what the paper was saying or an idea in my mind. So I can't, you know what I mean? I don't know if it's influenced by the way the paper's wording or if this is my idea and I'm not sure which mm. it is. My interpretation of the paper and that amazing story about the talking toads, 
I reckon that due to the potential famine in China, the people ran with this superstitious story about the toads in order to make sure their communities looked after their elderly residents and gave them food. Yeah. Uh, And I think that it made me wonder if superstition, whatever, they'd come up with a creative way of getting around the kind of authoritarian position of the Chinese state by letting this rumour go. Because it's superstition. It's harder to challenge. It's almost in the abstract, right? Yeah, yeah. Talking talking toads sent me to do it. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to the state. It's just there's these talking toads. And everybody came about it. And in this time of of, uh, finite and short resources they made sure they looked after their elderly population. Yeah, because the best argument you've got against talking toads is say there is no such thing as talking toads, but you've already lost the room at that point. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I thought this was coming. And it's an interesting thing about, you know, uh, uh, oppression or limitations, how you can come up with creative uh, problems, uh, problem solving and solutions to the problem. Yeah, yeah. Well, it looks like the Chinese authorities saw the power of these superstitious and supernatural stories and that they could be a threat to their power and authority. And they basically knew they had to crack down on these superstitious beliefs or it would threaten their control. So, you know, it kind of ties into what we're saying. That is amazing. What year is this? Did you say the 70s? This was in the early 60s. In the early 60s, right, right. So I'm just going to come on to, uh, coming on to the end now, very short, couple of stories because i thought whether you believe in the paranormal or not if you do land a top political job of running a country the paranormal is something you might not be able to avoid in britain if you become the prime minister you might have to deal with some ghostly apparitions at your new residence at number 10 downing street because it's said to be haunted there have been reports of a ghost a man in regency dress possibly a former Prime Minister, who has been spotted inside and outside Number 10. He was spotted by multiple workmen in the 1950s and 60s when renovation work was being carried out on the residence. Policemen often report hearing footsteps in the building and regularly investigate only to find that no one is in the building at the time. Some, who have journeyed into the basement of Number 10 Downing Street, have reported having their hands held by the spirit of a small child. Others claim to have smelled Winston Churchill's cigar smoke. Ah, that's quite cute. Now, moving across the pond to the White House, but sticking with Winston Churchill, when Churchill was visiting the United States, staying in the White House, he slept in the room called Lincoln's bedroom. He had an encounter with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Did you know this? Um, I sort of feel like it's in... I've read it somewhere, but um, no, I don't know the story. It's very funny. It's very Winston Churchill. Churchill had stepped out of a bath, was naked apart from the cigar he was holding in his hands. Very Churchill, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's not a cigar, sir. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. Um, (laughs) He saw the ghost of Lincoln standing by the fireplace. I, 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 I hope this is so true. I know there's a lot of apocryphal stories about Churchill. It said, Churchill looks at Lincoln's ghost standing at the fireplace and is reported to have said, Good evening, Mr. President. 
You seem to have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> That's brilliant, isn't it? And, and what what happened then? Did he did he just disappear? Yeah, I, I don't know what happens with that. That's the only bit of the story I got, but I I just love that quote. Now it's not the only time the ghost of Abe Lincoln has been seen in that bedroom. In 1942, Queen Wilhelmina of Netherlands stayed in the same room. She heard a knock at the door. When she opened it, there was the ghost of Lincoln staring straight back at her. The freaked-out queen immediately fainted. So she just passed out and then woke up and it was gone. Oh, God. (laughs) Ronald Reagan also reported while he was in residence in the White House, his dog would go into any room except the Lincoln bedroom. Oh, interesting. He had a uh, King Charles Spaniel. Oh, did he? Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it it wouldn't go in to that bedroom so i i don't know i feel like there's a wealth of political connections with the paranormal it it took me on a much more interesting journey than i was expecting that was interesting i never knew we'd get into toads i'm still wondering how on earth you make a toad shaped dumpling i mean yeah how- i've made chinese dumplings they're hard man they're hard yeah, yeah. Well, not only that, because you probably haven't got all the ingredients. You're just doing it out of flour and sugar, pretty much. How do you do that? I'm not sure they're particularly tasty by the sounds of it. No, they don't taste... They don't think they would taste very nice, but, you know, I suppose if you're hungry... Yeah, if um, you're hungry and, you know, you've got to look after the old folk, then that's what you've got to do. Yeah, God, I once had a Subway. <laughs> <laughs> You'll eat anything. I'll eat anything, yeah. Well, that... That makes a lot of sense, and I suppose it just reminds us that um, I guess politicians sometimes just have to fit in with the people around them, whether they uh, believe it or not. I mean, we still go through that thing, don't we? Of um, even in even in Britain, I know it's very much so in the states, but even in Britain, you'll before there's an election you'll see the heads of the different parties like wandering into a church on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you just go, are oh, you hypocritical buggers? But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So sometimes you've got to do these things to get votes. But yeah, I thought what was interesting was the Indonesia thing, that, you know, there are countries where actually <laughs> not believing in the paranormal or having an interest in the paranormal is something you probably have to fake in order to get elected you have to fake that you believe which is interesting it's kind of tying in what you're saying really yeah 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 so what i've learned from what you've told me is that dukans can be fabulously wealthy yeah and you need one to get elected in indonesia indeed um eating toads in the fourth semi-quarter of the third <laughs> trimester yeah. of the lunar cycle of the lunar cycle is good for you but only if you're an old woman and that um, you shouldn't be a prime minister and walk around naked in the White House unless you don't want to be at a disadvantage. Yeah, don't say we don't cover everything on this podcast. That was a very, very full topic list. Yeah, yeah. Um, Good. Well, um, hopefully you enjoyed that and uh, you don't think this whole episode was just one big conspiracy theory because hopefully it wasn't. And we will be back next week with the quantum mechanics and more weirdness we will see you next time thank you bye bye
you the quantum mechanics.